Hello, everyone. You're listening to Elisa Unfiltered Living Life Out Loud, the podcast. My name is Elisa curry and I am here today speaking from the heart to inspire and motivate you to be your best self. There is so much more to life than the nine to five daily grind, and I want to share all of my secrets with you. So let's get started. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Elisa Unfiltered Podcast. My name is Elisa, and today it is Wednesday, October 12th. Now, I'm just going to straight up warn y'all that today's episode is fun. Oh, it was so fun to connect and chat with the guest today, who is a holistic sexologist and orgasm queen extraordinaire, Jenna Switzer. So here's the deal. What I love about Jenna is her approach. She has this incredibly approachable approach to sex, pleasure, and stepping into your personal power, especially as a woman. Her techniques, I mean, she combines tantric lineages with a more modern understanding of anatomy and and physiology, right? Which is exactly what we need. Plus, she's passionate about living life fully turned on, if you know what I mean. (laughs) And, and honestly, how many women in your life right now do you really know as an adult who can teach you and show you how to improve your sex life and pleasure, regardless of your age? There's not many people out there that are doing it and connecting the way that Jenna does. So I'm a huge fan of her work. Yes, today's episode, we are deep diving into all things soul, sex, and strategy. We're breaking down things like shame barriers, embarrassment, chatting about trauma to the pelvic floor and a lot of the muscles around the pelvic floor, all right? Kegel myths versus facts, sex mindset, breathing techniques, porn, stress, and our nervous systems, what's uncommon versus common, and literally all the things in between. So if you're curious around pleasure, and we're talking like solo, partnered, group, whatever, whatever's in whatever tickles your fancy, or you just want to listen to a like a super fun, engaging and sexy podcast episode, this one's for you. All right. And as a bonus to all the listeners, my friends over at bloomsexually.com, which is an adult toy store for mature women is giving all Elisa Unfiltered listeners 20% off storewide with the promo code bloom20. So If you really, if you actually don't own a really good vibrator, (laughs) this is the place to start. First off, the company is owned by a 76-year-old woman who knows everything about her body and the bodies of women. She's gone through it all. And second, their mission is to empower women of all ages, shapes, and sizes to enhance their experience in the bedroom or kitchen counter or dining room table, wherever. (laughs) Your body is beautiful and worth celebrating So explore your sexuality and the endless possibilities by going to bloomsexually.com and using the promo code BLOOM20, that's B-L-O-O-M-2-0, BLOOM20 at checkout. Okay, y'all ready for this episode? Let's go. Here is Jenna Switzer. It's almost like two years have passed since I've had a live guest, Jenna. Welcome to the show. I'm so excited to be your first live guest. (laughs) It, you know... Just the energy all around right now. Like I, I actually have connected with quite a few people over Zoom and I love it. Mm-hmm. I actually love it because I get to connect with people like in other countries and and that are doing wild things. But we've been chatting a little bit before the show and just your energy is so amazing. And I'm really excited about today. Yay. I'm really excited. And I think it's cool that we have connected through live Instagram, through some other things. Yes. And then just coincidentally, I'm here from Bali. So it's like really yes. nice to be able to do this in person with you. I love yeah. it. Last time I saw you was in Bali. I know. Yeah. We were like doing some yoga <laughs> and were. having a time with some monkeys and... <laughs> yeah. All prior to COVID. <laughs> all Clueless. Free. Well, actually, that was like right before COVID. Yeah, it was. was January than a month. Yeah. Man, oh man, oh man. So... You have, let's tell the listeners your specialty here, because from the outside looking in, being your friend, following you, what what's your official title? 
Um, I would go holistic sexologist mm -hmm. um, and I do sex coaching mm -hmm. and I specialize in helping, well, in general, helping people have amazing orgasms, amazing sex, but really I'm super passionate about helping women have the orgasms they're desiring. So for some women, that's an orgasm for the first time. And for other women, it's orgasm with their partner in the room or through penetrative sex. Um, there's lots of different orgasms that people are really craving in their life and that's mm -hmm what I'm really passionate and excited about. I really like that you speak about it just like in so, so candidly and openly and um, accessibly. I don't know <laughs> if that's a word, but like how many people listening, like hear the word, Hey guys, we're going to talk about sex today. We are talking <laughs> about sex and we're going to probably go to places that you've never been before um, and learn a lot of new things. But why is that feel uncomfortable? Uh, I mean, there's so many reasons. One is taboo. Like, what you know, mean, it's what this, I, I know what taboo means, but like, so it's, it's in our society and it's, it's subcultures in society because there are different areas of society that this is absolutely not taboo. But for a lot mm -hmm. of us, it's talking about it is a little bit shameful or dirty because it's supposed mm -hmm. to be a private matter that only happens between partners. And then there's like shame and embarrassment because you don't know and you feel like everybody else has this insider information that you never got somehow. <laughs> and so there's that resistance to it. Mm -hmm. It's like, well, I don't want to know because I don't really want to have to admit. And that's mm -hmm. why I think these podcasts are so powerful is because you can listen to a podcast on your own and get in this information in a very non-threatening way. It's a very comfortable. You can be in your PJs, sipping your tea, listening to this podcast mm -hmm. and take in the information. And it's not threatening. It's not taboo. It's not, you don't have anyone to like be nervous or shy around. You can just take it in and enjoy it. Just wear your headphones. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> if you're on, yeah. Any place public, wear your headphones. <laughs> or not, whatever. Okay. So how did you get into this? That is actually quite the story. So I always really struggle because there's two sides to it. So one I can say is I was teaching yoga for a long time. And mm -hmm. when I taught yoga, I was very focused on the anatomical side, biomechanics, physiology, mobility. That was really what I specialized in. And then eventually anyone who knows about the body, like you have to specialize in an area. The the physical human body is so vast Complex. that the more you like learn, mm -hmm. you just have to focus on something. Mm -hmm. And so I ended up focusing on the pelvis, on the pelvic floor. Now, the more kind of vulnerable side to that story is that I experienced a trauma that very much impacted my pelvic floor and my ability to experience pleasure. And in using the tools from yoga and Hatha practices and all these lineages that I'd been learning of from and immersing myself in for years, yeah. being able to integrate that in my healing practice gave me a perspective on pleasure and orgasms and intimacy that is very uncommon. So, you know, there's the kind of high level story and then there's the more vulnerable. It was really from the pain and struggle in my own life to be able to share it, you know, and be passionate about it. So, we're going to do a little bit of anatomy here because okay. when I hear the words pelvic floor, mm -hmm. I think of my pelvis bones <laughs> and maybe something that I squeeze when I'm holding my pee. Okay. Yeah. Excellent. <laughs> okay. I'm in kindergarten. Teach I want me. you to know that I have had this conversation before and the person was like, your pelvic floor, does that have to do with digestion? And I was like, I mean, yeah. like the yeah. end of digestion, a little bit. Uh -huh. So honestly, any amount of awareness around the pelvic floor, the fact that you know you have a pelvic floor. Excellent. Good. Yeah. So when I'm talking about the muscles of the pelvic floor, and again, your body is really whole. It's like on the planet Earth, right? You take out one species and it impacts all the species. It's the same in your body, right? So we're going to talk about these muscles of your quote unquote pelvic floor, but they are obviously integrated and they affect all the muscles yeah. around. So... The muscles that in general we're referring to is you can kind of proprioceive your pelvis and on the left and right side, you have your sit bones, right? Those little bony nubs on either side. And then at the front, you have your pubic synthesis, which sometimes we call a pubic bone. You yeah. palpate it's firm in the front. And then at the back, you have your coccyx or we call it your tailbone. And so those are kind of your four bony landmarks. Now, you may not have thought of this before, but between those four bony landmarks, there's nothing holding your organs up, right? Except for skin. So if you imagine there were no muscles there, you would just have like 
basically droopy skin. What do you mean there's nothing there? <laughs> I mean, like, there's no, like, you think about your rib cage. Okay. Keeps things yeah, in, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. Your stomach, like, your, this is mushy yep. area. Like, that's right. Yeah. Okay, and if we were on all fours, our belly would be like kind of hanging, right? Because right? right. there's nothing like we would have to engage our abdominals. I'm with you. I'm with you. So when we're <laughs> since we're bipedal, we're standing upright. The muscles of the pelvic floor support your organs from, and you've probably heard of prolapse, like from yeah. basically that downward force of gravitational pull. So these muscles are also accessory breathing muscles. They're involved, obviously, we think of them when we orgasm, but they often help, not often, they are key in elimination as well. So there's a lot of different roles that they play. They also Elimination like, as in bathroom time. That's right. Peeing number Pooping. one and number two? Both. Both. Absolutely. Okay. <laughs> Interesting. Well, I guess that really absolutely makes sense in mm-hmm. all the ways. I mean, the, again, it's funny how even as an athlete, I was dissected, probed, measured, mm. pushed to my boundaries. I learned so much about my body, but not this. I know. This is the thing that really breaks my heart because your torso is the container that holds your organs. Obviously your brain, but Mm -hmm. these vital organs are all in your torso, right? And so we learn about the abdominals. We learn about the low back. We learn about the pecs. We learn about, you know, maybe your intercostals. I might be saying all these words and even people who aren't into anatomy, they're like, yeah, I've heard those terms before. But the pelvic floor is basically like the bottom of the egg, right? Yeah. And so for your nervous system to feel that your vital organs are fully safe and secure, so for you to be completely in full strength mode, you have to be able to engage your pelvic floor. Because if your nervous system subconsciously perceives that the pelvic floor isn't engaged or activated, then you end up in a place where you can't actually fully utilize your full strength. So I've seen this with powerlifters when I teach pelvic floor work to powerlifters. Number one, it prevents peeing during lifts, and that's quite common for powerlifters. Um, And also they generally see their one rep max go up like within 24 hours of learning how to do this, it changes everything because now they've like added another layer in the nervous system. So we always, in sport, I mean, since we're on that subject, we always learned it as our transverse abdominus or Kegel work. Yep. Okay, so Kegels, here we go. Kegels is like a little trigger word for me. I always get this like weird twitch in my eye. So I actually looked this up for the date because I've talked about Dr. Kegel a million times. So there is no muscle in your body called Kegel. Or Kegel muscle. Is it an exercise? It is an exercise. Okay. And it was created by Dr. Kegel okay. back when only men could be gynecologists. So only men were allowed to tell us okay. about our body. What? Yeah. And it's not even that long ago. So I have a friend. I'm on a rant now. <laughs> rant. Let's go. 50 years ago, uh, my friend was go becoming a gynecologist. While he was in university, um, that was the first time women were allowed to become gynecologists. So 50 mm. years is the... Like prior to 50 years ago, it was only men. And then obviously the first few years that women were allowed in university, not a lot of women were. So there weren't a lot of female gynecologists. Okay. There's no shit that this is such a confusing thing for even women as we were learning them from someone, learning it from someone who wasn't a woman. Yes. Yes. So interesting. The other thing is that our society, when Dr. Kegel was creating these practices, so Kegel exercises, we're talking about like the 50s and 60s. Now, if you think about a woman's life in the 50s and 60s, what that was like versus what a woman's like life is like today, the stress is just, you can't even compare, right? Your day-to-day stress level, astronomically higher. Are you saying that because women have full-time jobs, they're mothers, there are a lot of single moms out yes. there, they're Working, raising kids, that type of thing? There's so much more. Well, I mean, even sensory input. It wouldn't even be Uh, women. Like men, women, we all exist at a higher level of stress. Yeah. So that has an effect on the nervous system. It has an effect on your physiology, like tension in the body, that type Mm -hmm. of thing. So for Dr. Kegel in the 50s and 60s, he was seeing great success with women doing this contraction. Now, if you're listening to this podcast and you're hearing the word Kegel, 99% 99% of you will immediately start doing Kegels because as it, the words, it's like Pavlov's dog. Like as soon as you hear yeah. it, you're like, oh, I I'm should like be doing that. I'm my pee. Yes, yes. <laughs> and the reason that is no longer beneficial is because we actually have, those muscles are already too tight. So if you think of a guy who goes to the gym and he's doing curls over and over and over, right? And every day he's doing curls and every day he's doing curls. And that's the only arm workout he ever does. He's going to end up with an elbow that doesn't fully straighten and a dysfunctional 
well, so much, but like dysfunctional shoulder arm joint. Sure. Same in the pelvic floor. If all you ever do is a bicep curl, is a Kegel, then you end up with chronic tension and the muscles don't work the way they should. So all we have is this like Kegel, make them stronger. And then it plays over into our sexuality because we think like for his pleasure, we should be tight. So we got to do more Kegels for his pleasure. I got to be able to activate these muscles and squeeze and, and, you know, the stronger I am down there, the better the sex is for him. Um, we don't think of like, well, what's going to give me more pleasure? What will feel better for me in my body? And I can tell you with all of my clients, being able to learn to relax their pelvic floor has been the difference between never having orgasms, 30s, 40s, 50s, and learning to orgasm for the first time. So it's it's a big deal. So if you're one of those people and you're always kegeling, now is the time to choose a new direction with your life. <laughs> it's confusing too because it's a lot in the fitness world that t- transverse abdominis kegel mm-hmm. holds in your abs to get the six pack, to yep. get the strength, to get the whatever. It's like yep. confusing. So I'm not against the activation. Okay. I'm just against that's all we do. Got it. Right? So if you're a power lifter and then you go to power yoga, you're not getting the lengthening. Like maybe a gentle yoga or a restorative yoga is going to be better for your body than another strong practice. So in the same way, if you're an active athlete and you're engaging, or even you do yoga and you're doing uh, Mula Bandha activations and contracting that lower area, um, what you need to learn to do is release and relax that area and then do things to intentionally lengthen the muscles in that area. So create space. Okay. So you mentioned that you help women of all ages have some of their first orgasms. Mm-hmm. If Is pelvic floor a key component to that? Yes. Okay. So I do it really in stages, but because of how I am as a person, my gateway drug into all the woo-woo world was anatomy. And so that's where I find is like my biggest funnel, right? Here's the things about anatomy that you can touch, feel, engage with that doesn't feel threatening. Everybody knows they have muscles down there. And and so it feels very accessible to most people. And then once you feel the difference and you feel those sensations shift, then you're able to access the energetic, um, the more like esoteric side of it, right? Your emotions that are involved, the energy that's involved, because you already trust me because I've already proven Mm -hmm. I know what I'm doing through the physical and you can feel in your own body that emotional and energetic shift. So that's kind of how I integrate and and help people get to better orgasms. Interesting. So I would imagine, so so we had Dr. Sarah Vaidbonkar on the, on the podcast not too long ago, and she really talked about depression, anxiety, things that Mm. happen in our bodies. Um, as like a biosocial, psych, a biopsychosocial. Okay. So the bio, the biology would be sort of the pelvic floor as mm-hmm. the issue. The psychology, the psycho would be like your, your thoughts, yeah. your beliefs, your traditions, culture. And then the social would be sort of the support around you, mm-hmm. how you, so I would imagine the, the, those pillars, like they, they stuck with me when she said that. I was yeah. like, yeah, depression isn't just a chemical imbalance necessarily Mm -hmm. there's a lot of things happening so would you say that that's very similar absolutely okay yeah interesting now let's talk a little bit about the psychology of orgasm okay are you cool with that yeah totally because you said for his pleasure Mm -hmm. so this is like it's frustrating and the thing at the end of the day, like I, this is what I do for a living and I can't say that I'm above it. I can't say that there are times in my life where I'm like, oh, I hope he's really enjoying this or, oh, maybe I need to do this so he enjoys it more mm-hmm. because it's so ingrained in me. And, you know, could I blame that on the way I was raised? Could I blame that on society? I mean, yes, sure. Like I could blame it on everything outside of me. But the fact is I'm an adult now. I'm a consenting adult in sexual activities. Therefore, mm-hmm. I need to take ownership of my pleasure. Um, I was just chatting with a friend earlier today and I was saying how frustrating it is when I hear the term like, oh, he couldn't make me come or, oh, you know, he didn't do it right because it's our body. We're responsible for our own pleasure. I'm not responsible for his and he's not responsible for mine. So if I want to learn to have an orgasm, of course, it's amazing to have a partner who wants to support you. But that's the social aspect, right? Yep. You have to deal with the physical and the psychological before you can add in 
the partner to support you. So until you have worked through your shit, like there's a lot of stuff going on in your head, a lot of conditioning, a lot of ideas that you adopted as your own. And sure, you can blame other people. And if you would like to never orgasm, you can continue to blame other people. But until you take ownership <laughs> and and decide that this is something you're going to learn differently, um, then you're kind of stuck in this pattern. I heard a stat actually. So working with Zumio, so we were connected through Zumio, which is like a vibrator company. It was mm-hmm. made by women for women. And um, when I was working for them, I saw a stat and I don't want to misquote this, but it's, it's going to be really cl- close. Yeah. Something along the lines of 5% of women orgasm through penetration mm-hmm. with a man. Yeah. Um, 80% um, orgasm solo yeah. when they masturbate. Mm-hmm. And like 76% with a female yeah. partner. Mm-hmm. So like females get females. Yeah. And, and like, how do... How would you approach talking to a partner if you're someone who never orgasms and yeah. you don't have a partner that's willing? Like, what are some of the things that we can do to help that? Because, like, honestly, sure, taking responsibility for ourselves is like the key ingredient to my life and my coaching and my teaching. And mm. I think that that is step one for any shift or change. And I also am a firm believer that you can't go, you can't evolve or improve or grow without pain and suffering in some way, some mm-hmm. discomfort in yep. some way. You're it's not it's just never going to happen. Yep. You're going to be waiting forever and probably <laughs> resentful and pissed off because they're they aren't getting it. Yeah. So like how do we what kind of things do you, do you teach women how to have these conversations? Yeah, I mean it all it always comes up. A lot of my clients the vast majority are in long-term partnerships and I think mm-hmm. that's super super beautiful mm-hmm. and all the clients I've had have had supportive partners. Um yeah, great. and that's beautiful, right? So then it's just a matter of like how to have these conversations. And it's the situation really matters, right? So um you're in bed, you know, and things are getting <laughs> hot and heavy and you're like, "Hey, I really hate it." that you do this thing. It never makes me come. Like, obviously that is not the best way to approach things. Yeah. I really love, and I, we each have our own personal bias in communication, but I really love praise. You know, if a man says to me like, man, it was so hot when you did X, Y, Z, I've tucked that away and I will do X, Y, Z again. Mm-hmm. Um, so in the same way, if I say to a partner like, oh, it's really hot when you let me use my toy while we're having penetrative sex. And again, like in this conversation right now, we're talking about like a heteronormative couple yeah. and we're talking about a man and a woman and we're saying that sex is penetration, right? Mm -hmm. These are all like, we're defining words because all of these things have very vague meanings. Absolutely. So in that situation, encouraging someone rather than discouraging them. Or, you know, on a evening, like, wouldn't, what do you think tonight if like we do like partnered masturbation? Like, I want to watch you do this while I do this. So then your partner gets to watch you pleasure yourself to do the things to your body. And they're going to pick that up in the same way that as you're watching them, you're like, oh, I didn't know they, you know, liked to have their hands on their inner thigh or they do this thing, you know, and, and it just gives us that opportunity to have a hot, sexy, intimate moment, but without the pressure of quote unquote performing. Does that make sense? It does. And I think a lot of women, just because of the stigma and the taboo or how they were raised, like beliefs. I mean, okay. I never talked about sex really, really with any of the partners that I had. Did I have terrible sex? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Did I have great sex sometimes? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, and I was like, I, you know, on a scale of one to 10, 10 being mind blowing all the time, I was like a solid six, you know, and, and, and I tolerated that Mm -hmm. for a long time, uh, until I started taking ownership of my own life and into my thirties being single for three years, only really, you know, having sexual relationships with myself, me Mm -hmm. alone the whole time. Um, meeting Michael, it's really interesting because when we started to have sex at the beginning, don't Mike, don't listen. Earmuffs. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
we, we kind of like, I wanted to like debrief with him. Aww. It sounds so funny, yeah. but like I would tell, I kind of did the praise thing, but it was really nice because he is such a, a loving sort of teddy bear kind of guy. And, and I think we were kind of feeling each other out. And I was like, mm-hmm. so we would sort of debrief. And he said one time, this is awesome mm-hmm. that we talk about this. He mm-hmm. really was, he really liked it. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a lot of guys out there that are sort of navigating blind and just kind of doing yes. what they always did. And if someone gives them direction, because they, I think a lot of guys and girls, like wh- whoever your partner is, mm-hmm. they want to please you. Yes, it's of course. However, there's a lot of women, especially women who are 30, 40, and 50 in my circle of friends, in my experience, that have learned that sex is for the man. Yeah. Absolutely. And it's perpetuated by the fact that we're not orgasming during sex. Right. So it's, it's, it's this like, you know, you're told sex is for the man, then you have sex, you don't orgasm. But when you're by yourself, you orgasm. Or, Mm -hmm. you know, if you've ever, you know, been with women in whatever capacity you've orgasmed. So it like just reaffirms over and over in your head, like sex is just for guys. And then if I actually want to enjoy myself, I have to do something else. Yeah. And that's something that I think is really beautiful. So I don't think everyone needs to have orgasms during penetration. I don't think it's a must. And I love orgasms during penetration. I really, really enjoy them. And one skill, uh, I'm kind of quote unquote about that, but uh, is, is that I share and that I teach a lot is to have an orgasm from the sensation of penetration. And I believe every woman can. You do? I do. Every woman. Yep. This is like one of my like least popular goal? opinion <laughs> every woman's have it really is oh my gosh that would be like a dream but i hear this statistic all the time that women can't come from penetration alone mm-hmm. and that is a to me it's a reaffirming belief we're perpetuating the idea that women can't orgasm during sex without toys because what we're trying to do is open up the conversation to make it okay to have toys the thing is is that it shouldn't be okay can't. wait say that again <laughs> i don't know that again okay so we are we are being told over and over again that we can't have sex without a toy because we can't have orgasm orgasm sorry that's what i mean from penetration and the goal of that statement is so that we can open the conversation around bringing toys into the bedroom right do you think it's a marketing thing too though oh i don't know i never thought about that that's before. where my brain is <laughs> when i'm like what are you telling me that i can and can't do so that i buy your product that's so true I had yeah. literally never thought of that before. Interesting. So I think it's just like a simple word change is that, you know, 80% of women currently don't orgasm from penetration alone. Therefore, it's a great idea to bring in toys. And that 70% of women can, if they would like to, have orgasms from penetration. Now, I know that this is what I'm passionate and excited about. And I know that not everybody gets passionate and excited about like having new orgasms. Like to them, it's like, you know, I've had sex this way with my partner. I really love it. I don't Mm -hmm. need things to change. And that's great. I think that's also great. But it's this, you know, 70, 80% of women can't. That's where my issue comes in because it's not that they can't, it's that they don't. And we Mm. all have the same physiological parts. It's not like I have more nerve endings on the inside than you do. We both have those. And it's just a matter of creating that neuromuscular connection and like, getting out of our own head, which is way easier said than done, and learning to really feel into those sensations. And mm-hmm. it happens, you know, and I've, I have client testimonials of people who have had these beautiful experiences in their 40s, and they've never had an orgasm from penetration before. And I just think that it isn't unattainable. And the more we hear that word can't, the more we cement it into our brain. Okay, but is it going to take like an hour? No. Oh, God, no. Like... Oh, no. No. (laughs) Is it going to take an hour? I've got two and a half minutes. Okay. If it's not happening in two and a half minutes, it's not happening. (laughs) Oh my gosh. But that's something like sometimes I just don't want sex to last forever. Like, I mean, there's definitely a time and place. And I think that's something that I don't think it's a measure of a, a healthy sex life. Or maybe it is. Maybe you would know that having quick quickies and like longer and like spending different times and bringing. Yeah. I'd like to think that's healthy. Variety. Yeah. But then there's also like, we could go months at a time just doing what we both like, just really like. Mm -hmm. And we just like. Do the things. Get, do the things. Yeah, totally. (laughs) And especially like, 
in a partnership, like you go through phases, right? So the orgasm from penetration, um, you know, I've had orgasms from penetration, like, you know, within 30 seconds of penetration. And then I've had not orgasms from penetration for, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes. It really depends on like what's happening. So, you know, I don't know, like air conditioning can really distract me. Like, you know, it's like right. if, if I get in my so own it's head. it's very psychological. Totally. And it's really like an embodied practice. You know how sometimes you do a yoga class and it's like your full body just orgasms as you move? You're just Kinda. like, this is yeah, the best feeling ever. Yeah. And then other times you do yoga and you're like, yep, my arm's going up. Yep, my arm's going down. Right? Yep, totally. Same thing, right? With sex. It's or like sometimes. Like, I don't want to do this anymore. Yeah. <laughs> I want to leave. Yeah. How do I sneak out of here? <laughs> Same thing in sex. Yeah. <laughs> Same thing in sex. Absolutely. Okay. Okay. I'm with you. I'm with yeah. you. What about penis size? Oh, uh, definitely no. <laughs> so, penis size doesn't make a difference or it does? It depends. Basically, if you have a strong neuromuscular connection and you are really in touch with this area of your body, the size of the penetrative tool is not going to impact your ability to orgasm. Okay. I like the reframing yeah. of the tool, the penetrative <laughs> tool. Yes. I, and I being um, a, a woman who is in a relationship with a man, heteronormative, I always refer to men and women, and I know that there are a lot of listeners that aren't in my situation. So I'm sorry for that. I my mind just keeps going into just like my per. I'm personalizing this quite yeah, a, yeah. quite a lot, and so thank you for for doing that. No problem. And, <laughs> because it's it is a tool. It is. It is absolutely a tool. It, okay. Interesting. Yeah. Let's talk mindset. So if I'm a person I've never had penetrative sex before. Sorry. Uh, Never had penetrative sex? I mean, never orgasmed okay. from it. <laughs> like, all right, so we're going back, okay? Yeah, okay, sorry. <laughs> so I've never had an orgasm from it. Um, I do believe that I never will. Okay. Uh, what kind of things can we do to sort of lift the veil a little bit with our mind? Mm-hmm. First thing I'm going to say is curiosity. Mm. This is really where it all comes in. Like, I don't really think, you know... I don't really think I'm going to enjoy an ice bath. You know, Elisa and I were talking about ice baths not that long ago. <laughs> you're going to you're gonna make your own ice bath in Bali. I know it. <laughs> and I believe that. And, you know, I'm, I'm curious, mm-hmm. though. I'm willing to be curious about the experience. So that's the first step. Be willing to be curious. The second step is um, breathing. Breathing oh, is so, 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 so yeah. important. This is like... Oh my gosh. If there's one thing that I would recommend to everybody anywhere, well, it doesn't matter. Good breathing is is key for everything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like yep. Pleasure, health, bodily functions, everything. So yeah. Yeah. learn to breathe well. And then when it comes to orgasms, men suffer from premature ejaculation and erectile dysfunction and women will struggle to orgasm there's a lot of breath holding that happens. We don't mean to, but we do. Now, often I get a message that says like, oh, Jenna, I heard what you said about breathing, but like I hold my breath before I orgasm. Yes, you can. If orgasming comes easy for you, you can hold your breath, you can still have an orgasm. But if you struggle to orgasm and you hold your breath, you're perpetuating a problem. Really? Yes. I think it's better holding my breath sometimes. So it tends to be more localized. When you're having those deep, full breaths, it tends to expand it into the rest of your body. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I think may like expand it like, okay, so when I sneeze, Mm -hmm. I get an orgasm through my whole body, basically. Okay. Is that what you mean? Yeah. Sure. But actually, do you know what I mean? (laughs) No. I don't orgasm when I sneeze. I feel like I'm missing out on my life. What am I doing wrong? What? No. Am I the only one? I don't know. Okay. There has to be someone listening that sneezes and feels the orgasm. So um, one of the things when I'm talking to people about orgasms, they feel like it's wildly unattainable. I think about like laughgasms, right? This is something, you know, when you laugh uncontrollably, you have no, like you just can't stop. And it's like your whole body is into it. And like like your cheeks hurt, your belly hurts. Like you're just, everything's involved and you can't control. Yeah. That to me is a type 
right, I'm doing air quotes, a type of orgasm in the same way that like when you cry and it's like full body, your whole self is in those tears. Mm -hmm. That to me is a form of orgasm in the same way that you're describing a sneeze is your full body involuntary absolutely like energy moves yeah totally that's exactly what i'm talking about so how many kind of orgasms are there oh my god so many there is as many kinds of orgasms as people can come up with kimonami who's kind of a legend in the space um, she like lifts coconuts with her vagina. Oh, yeah, she's interesting. I, <laughs> apparently, there's a whole like area of vaginal weightlifting I did not know existed. Get the fuck yeah, out. like surfboards, like all oh. kinds of weird things. They just yeah, I know. Anyway, so back to Kimonami. Interesting legend. Okay. Um, she one time put out this list, and I can't remember if it was like seven orgasms everybody needs to have. And I was like, well, I'm a sex coach, like. I need to have had all these seven orgasms. So I'm like reading through it. I'm like, okay, I've had that one. I've had that one. I think the one that I hadn't had at the time, and now I'd have to really think about if I've had one, was like a throat gasm. I was like, you can have a throat orgasm? I had no idea. But what I've come to realize is that you can have an orgasm from any area of your body that brings you pleasure. So you think like some people like to have their toes stuck, sucked on. If yeah. you were someone who was really comfortable with your body, you could really relax and breathe into it. I have no doubt in my mind that you could have a toe orgasm, that you could like feel that sensation and orgasm. Is it that. like erogenous zones or just anything that you feel pleasure? Well, I mean, you just said you orgasm when you sneeze. Sneezing isn't erogenous and yet it still gives you that well, it, flush of sensation. Okay. So like if the sneeze orgasm, okay, if we're going on a scale of one to 10, a sneeze orgasm is like this full body sensation of pleasure, involuntary. Mm-hmm. I would say it can be like a two to a four out of 10. Okay. If a 10 is like a clitoral yeah. mind blower. Yeah. 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 Then a sneeze would be like a three. <laughs> <laughs> but it's still a nice little still moment. Still a good little thing. <laughs> so there's also exercise induced orgasms. So I don't know if you've ever had one of those. Never. Where, really. So I've definitely had them specifically with like rectus abdominal certain. You know what does it? I'm just going to. Tell us. Okay. So for me, and this is not everybody, I know that. You know those like little wheelie things where you put your hands on either side of the wheel yeah. and you roll it out and you pull it back like in? Like the ab that'll, that'll make me orgasm. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know why. And it's not because I'm like jacked and it's not are hard. You, are you like muscularly like touching your G-spot somehow? Like, yeah. Are you having so, a vaginal orgasm? Okay. The other thing is, is that once you learn to control the muscles of your pelvic floor, you can just self-induce an orgasm by contracting the muscles. And that sounds way cooler than it is. When I first learned about it, I was like, oh my gosh, I have to learn to do this. Yeah. Now that I've learned to do this, I'm like, you know what's not fun? sitting here inducing an orgasm the only reason that it's fun is like if i'm in like a really long meditation and i'm bored yeah i want to like bring myself back yeah i've done that several times um but yeah really yeah so then i assume probably what's happening is the like superficial front line of my body is like activating and it's just like pulling on the um muscles that are surrounding my clitoris and causing that stimulation Okay, let's talk about anatomy. You said the C word. Mm-hmm. Because, and uh, earlier we were talking about <clears throat> our vaginas. Mm-hmm. So, um, why did I say it like that? See, I, that's <laughs> our vaginas, guys. <laughs> we're going to talk about them. Um, I, I started reading this book. Mm-hmm. It's called Period Powers. Ooh. Um, just working through some hormone stuff. Learning about the female anatomy at age 41. Love it. And she really like dissected. Now, I would say just because because of the fact that um, I've worked with different sex toy companies in the marketing space, mm-hmm. I feel as though over the last, I don't know, five years, I've really started to understand. I love all the Instagram reels of like women asking men what where what's a vulva. Mm-hmm. And hearing, is it a car? Yeah. 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 Is it a mm-hmm. your earlobe, I think? Yeah. It's the space between your nose and your <laughs> like no. they have no idea. Yeah. It's actually hilarious. And I learned from this book, which because I thought all of it together was the vagina, like mm-hmm. the vulva, the clitoris, the mm-hmm. canal, the yep. uterus, the all the things was called the vagina. But it's actually, I've learned that it's just like the canal. Yeah. It's the Vaginal canal. The vaginal canal. And we shorten it to vagina. And we shorten it to vagina. But the like labia, the clitoris, mm-hmm. the 
like all the parts that are involved, like that's all your vulva. So it's like saying your arm, your vulva. right? Why didn't we learn that? But why know. did our moms just always call it your vagina? Cover your vagina. I don't know. And like, even then, like how many of us get to hear the word vagina? I never heard the word vagina until I was like way older. We had like Fair this. Fair enough. We had this weird, oh my gosh. So my mother, I hope she's not listening. She wouldn't listen to this. <laughs> um, used to call it a peer. A pier. Yeah. Like a boat pier? Yeah. So <laughs> she would use that word. And I obviously I never thought of it. I was a kid, right? Yeah, totally. So then I'm going to say like five years ago, one of my sisters was like, mom, why would you use that? I can't remember. It might have actually been me. I'm having a hard time remembering the details. But she says, well, because water comes out of it, honey. And there's like water around a pier. And I was like, mom, you can't do that. Oh, <laughs> You can't just make clever. up words. <laughs> And then be like, yeah, that's what it's called, you know? It's like yeah, yeah. when you talk to someone about, like, their arm, you know, it's like, well, you know, I'm having, like, problems with my wrist, right? Yeah, it's, it's like, very specific. Very Everyone specific. knows what that is. Yeah. And then if you're saying, like, oh, I'm having problems with my vagina, but, like, actually you're having, you know, issues with your labia or your, you know, whatever, like, the clitoris is causing you issues, like it's really frustrating that we don't know that terminology. And the other thing I want to say, I have posted said videos of like clitoris, like find the clitoris, find I, the vulva. I love those. Those are awesome. <laughs> I love them too. My only downside is that it's only showing men right. and the amount of women who also don't know what a vulva is right. and the amount of women who also wouldn't be able to identify clitoris on another woman is a lot. Like it's a lot. And it, so you know, I think on the one hand, it's a bit um, tricky because like that kind of stuff is engaging and it's interesting. Um, and people like to like kind of laugh that had how much we don't know. But also it can be a little tricky because then we get back to this like, well, he has no idea what he's doing. It's like, well. Well, you kind of don't really know either. Yeah. Oh, the, the whole picture. Yeah. And also, like, if I was to say, like, where's the frenulum on a guy's penis? You would be like, I'm sorry, the what? Yeah. You know, so it's only fair. You know, they don't have to know. We were talking about, uh, we were, Michael and I were listening to a Joe Rogan podcast and he was talking about how plastics are starting to, over time, shrink people's taints. Yes. And I was like, what the fuck is the taint? Is it, we were like, we were having this really funny conversation. We ended up Googling it. We were in fact both correct that mm -hmm. it's the space between the vagina and the, the anus yeah. or the testicles the testicles but they what's the ball what's the sack called something else and i think they refer to basically your yeah. testicles and your anus like yeah. that little space yeah. and i'm just like why is it shrinking it and what does that mean well in men there's this amazing woman that i cannot remember her name and she does she was probably on the joe rogan podcast you were looking you were listening oh, to yeah. because she talks about how it's like it also correlates to lowered testosterone levels in men and fertility yeah, yeah totally so it causes all these issues mm -hmm. and we're just learning about it and it's such an obscure thing to measure how the heck did she even come up with that like i should try measuring this to see if it's yeah linked but good on her she has and has come up with this like really really i find it very very interesting um i find it so interesting mm -hmm. too but like who knows what a taint is? Yeah. I, Honestly. Well, I don't even know that taint is the is the anatomically correct term. I don't know. Like, I would call it your perineum. But then I don't know if that's anatomically correct or if that's just the muscles that are in that area. We Googled what's a taint oh, and it you? came up. It came up. Yeah. So, I mean, it is a term. True. <laughs> Everybody it's listening real is somewhere. like, obviously, guys, we all know what a taint is. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. So, we're... we're so our vaginas are actually our vulvas. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and so I also learned from this book that I want to talk to you about was the infamous G-spot. Oh, yes. Is part or thought to be part of the clitoris. Oh, interesting. Okay, yeah. So the clitoris, the part that we know is like the little, I don't know, button, mm -hmm. the little nub sticky out bit point. Mm-hmm. But really, it's quite big. It looks kind of like a C. Mm -hmm. And the other end of it is like high up in the vaginal canal. So mm -hmm. you can hit it inside the vaginal canal. Some women can. Mm -hmm. Do you know anything about that? Yeah. So like, what's the G spot? 
Oh, that's such a great question. So one of the issues, um, man, my friend's dog is just like really needing oh, yeah. some love right now. Hold on. Pause. <laughs> <laughs> we love dogs on the show. Good. Perfect. Especially live live shows. <laughs> um, so I really struggle with this G-spot because I, I really struggle with like, what the heck is this G-spot orgasm? Like, why don't I know? Again, like you, you put yeah. this pressure on yourself, but like, I'm like, I'm a holistic sexologist. I should know what a G-spot is. Yeah. But I'm realizing that it is just the inside front. It's not some elusive, like, mythological place inside the body. Like, you're so as minor. Maybe you have one. Maybe you don't. Surprise, surprise. You never know until you poke around in there. Mm-hmm. Um, it's we, we all have it. And does it feel good right away to hit the G-spot for everyone? Okay, here's the thing. I spent years having men doing this jabby business into yeah, it. You know, I know what I'm talking about? That was about? like so high that school. That was not pleasurable. Yeah. I mean, I'd like to say it ended in high school for me, but like <laughs> yeah. definitely went on for a long time. Yeah. So is it pleasurable? Not always. Is it sensitive? Yes, it can be. Does it give a really incredible sensation? Yeah, sometimes. Um, can it lead to orgasm? Yes, sometimes. Um, again, it just depends on your body, depends on a whole lot of different things. But that's the interesting thing about the clitoris is that we do have that part that protrudes that we often think of as like, okay, this is my clitoris when I do clitoral stimulation. And this is part of being able to orgasm from penetration. Your vaginal canal is like on either side is wrapped around like the Mm -hmm. bulbs of your clitoris. So other parts that are innervated with nerves and cushioning and Mm -hmm. it's right around And so I just think that this idea that like, oh, I only come, you know, women can only come from clitoral simulation. It's like, well, the clitoris is more than just that little sticky outy bit that we see from the hood. It's Mm -hmm. the glands clitoris. It's all in there. So I don't know actually about whether it is or is not the inter, I mean, it makes sense and anatomically, but it's, it's just that front part. And you just want to like, again, this comes back to being curious, be curious right? Maybe you've never liked it before, but today you're just going to explore, use your fingers, use some lube, or your partner's going to explore, or you'll use a toy. Be curious. Okay. So one of the sort of controversial things that I want to talk to you about, and you mentioned it earlier, is on the trauma side. Now, um, because I would imagine there's various forms of trauma that Mm -hmm. women have gone through mentally, physically, emotionally. Yep long-term, short-term, acute. Um, How do we know if, like, do do all women know that trauma is holding them back? Like, how do we know to address those things? And what would you say would be the first step to take? No, I don't think all women know because I think I have had clients, I have had friends talk about their past traumas and also talk about their current sex life and not see in their mind that those two things are related. Mm -hmm. So I don't think that we all are able to link it. Mm -hmm. And the other thing is this word trauma, you know, when I'm describing it, you know, it was a pretty universal, everybody would be like, wow, that's really terrible that happened. But trauma is so deeply personal, right? right? It can be like a trauma that I hear of a lot is, um, a partner at some point making a comment about the labia minora, right? The inner labia that they they look weird or they're too long or they're something. Or they're a different color That's or right. they hang or they yes. sag or they're swollen because everyone's looks different and we didn't mm-hmm. learn that either. No. And yeah. porn definitely doesn't teach that oh, at yeah. all. Yeah. We need to talk about porn after this. <laughs> yeah. And so that can be trauma, right? Right. That could cause you to never want another man to either touch or lick and again, I'm saying, man, this is a heteronormative, but like another partner Mm -hmm. to touch or lick that area because all you think about is like, oh God, it's weird. He's going to think it's weird. He's going to be uncomfortable. He's so I think that when we talk about trauma, we really need to acknowledge that this is, it, it is so deeply personal. It doesn't mean that you were, you know, treated like molested as a child. And it can mean that that happened to you. It doesn't mean that you were, taken advantage of. And it can mean that, you know, it's, it's, it really runs the gamut and sometimes it's Mm. bad partnerships, right. And sex was used as a tool of manipulation or, you know, every time they were abusive, you had sex afterwards. And so you've associated sex with being treated bad, you know, like there's so many habits in our brain. So this comes back to being curious. It's like, okay, Mm -hmm. so there are parts of my sex life I'm not happy with or excited about. 
what, how can I get curious about this? Like journaling prompts, I think journaling is really, really powerful. So starting to ask yourself questions. What's my history with pleasure? Where did I first experience pleasure with or without a partner? Um, how have my partnered experiences been? How have my solo experiences been? And really kind of looking into yourself and your experiences to uncover any personal trauma that might be, you know, subconsciously holding you back. And it's so funny how we don't want to go there sometimes. We, well, of course I, I mean, not. it's not funny. <laughs> no. It's not funny, but it's interesting how yeah. we don't want to go there, yet we want mm-hmm. this relationship or the sex to be this way, but we don't want to go there. And um, I really like the curiosity piece because it is, and I think all of the things that you're saying around sex, it is a step-by-step thing. Yeah. You don't you're, no one's going to go from zero to a thousand no. every time. You, mm-hmm. I mean, being curious about any aspect of your life or any aspect of your pleasure, any aspect of your wellness or well-being, it's like people think that they need to run the full marathon yeah. next weekend. And it's like, yeah, sure. There might be a hand, there might be an outlier who could do that. Absolutely. But most people don't do that. Yes. And the, and the people and the places and the relationships and the examples that we've had as women growing up mm-hmm. in the 80s and 90s when we we're formative, uh, some of the listeners, 60s, 70s, it doesn't really even matter. But a lot of our um, role models, mm-hmm. and it's not their fault. No. They were raised how yes. they were raised yes. and they were passing on what they knew. They did their best. Mm-hmm. But we were taught to not question and to not be curious and we don't even know what our vaginas are Mm -hmm. when we're 40. Yeah. I (laughs) know. And we look at porn Mm -hmm. and we see women in porn who are manipulating their bodies, having Mm -hmm. surgery, Mm -hmm. waxing every single thing, weighing 17 pounds, fake breasts, fake labias, fake butts, fake all the things. And we expect that that's, what our partners want. Mm -hmm. I know it's this interesting. It's so interesting to me because even when it comes to squirting, like when we have these conversations, when I have conversations around squirting with women, often, you know, their exposure to it is like in porn and Mm -hmm. yes, a hundred percent. Some women do squirt and it hits the ceiling. Some women squirt and it's like across the room. And if I have to be super honest, like I've had similar, like basically those experiences and it's not exactly convenient, right? Like it's not quote unquote ideal. And also I've had experiences, my own body, other people like other partners where this squirting is just like a little bit, but when you watch it in porn, it's like, everybody's going to drown in the room. Like there's just like, it's everywhere. And like, it goes on forever and she loves it. And it's not necessarily true. I know women who squirt every time they orgasm. And I know women who don't orgasm when they squirt and Interesting. Yeah, so they're not related. They're not necessarily. I've never squirted in my life. They're not necessarily hand in hand. They can be, but they're not always. And so so I've been with partners, and I'll speak to my own experience. I can speak to others, but easier is my own, where I have squirted and actually not orgasmed, and it doesn't really feel that great for me because. It's not what's really, happening when you what the, what is squirting? I don't even. I think I, I I think this term even came into me in my early thirties. Yeah, like I didn't, had no idea that was. It's a thing. definitely one of those things. Like, uh, I have a really good friend, and if he ever listens to this podcast, he's going to answer this part. He's going to start laughing <laughs> because I swear it's not pee. And he has sent me like all these studies. He's like, it's pee. Where does it come? The out? bladder comes. The bladder's empty. They've done all these studies, and I'm like, yeah, I know, but like. It depends on so many different things. Does it come out of the urethra? It does. Well, kind of. So my understanding is that you have glands that are secreting liquid Mm -hmm. and you also have your urethral sponge, right? Which is this sponge around the end of your urethra that prevents when you have impact on that area, bicycle riding, sex experiences, those kind of things. It doesn't damage the end of the urethra, right? So that that you can still pee, right? So this sponge is filled with liquid. So theoretically, it's a combination of these like feminine secretions and this liquid. Now, is there pee in there? Pretty sure there is. You just have to accept that that's probably happening. I also want to say that probably 
there's a little bit of pee in man cum because it's coming out of the same, it's coming out of the same hole. So if they went to pee beforehand and like it did not, you know what I'm saying? Like it's like drinking the Bordeaux and then pouring the Pinot. There's going to be like. Probably a little bit of Bordeaux still in there. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So people get like really weirded out by this and I just need it to not be a weird moment. Um, It needs to be something like back in the day, tantric priestesses would like squirt and then men would drink it. Like it was considered a very like high vibrational liquid that could like transform men's lives. So mm. us being grossed out of it, grossed out by it in today's day and age, basically indicates to me that it's probably way more powerful and way more amazing than we think it is. Because usually our amazing things are suppressed by. <laughs> yeah, our amazing things. Have, okay, well, there's like if you take um, not psilocybin, but what's the other one there? Um um oh ayahuasca ayahuasca it's heard like it might be ayahuasca it might actually it's not psilocybin it might be ayahuasca there's a lot of like natural herbs that get tribes going and the resonance comes out in the pee so they would drink their own pee to keep it going (laughs) like and that was just totally normal yeah yeah like they're i mean pee to me seems kind of gross it seems like wastewater to me (laughs) I mean, like, I'm not going to lie. Pee is generally not my thing. Golden shower is not my thing. Yeah, it's Generally not speaking. And I like a good squirting orgasm from time to time. You know? <laughs> and, I mean, pee... Who hasn't had to squat in the woods without toilet paper? It's so and true. there's pee... Like, yeah. pee's just pee. Yeah. Get over it. Yeah, agreed. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, just to finish this off, I do want to just address the porn thing because okay. it's such an interesting conversation. So much stigma around it. So much, um, cause, okay. I'll, I'll just put it this way. Mom earmuffs. Um, I watch porn. Mm-hmm. I enjoy porn. Mm-hmm. It's a tool mm-hmm. in the tool box. If yep. you want to call it similar to like my Zumio or other toys or my partner. Yep. Um, however, porn is kind of, fucking people up yeah. so hard. It really is. And I don't know, I don't publicly support porn. This is the first time I've ever done this mm-hmm. because I don't think it's, I think there's a lot of things about it that are really harmful to women and men and relationships and sex and their bodies. And there's also some really great ethical porn. Mm-hmm. I mean, you don't, you see a movie of something, but you don't even have a single clue how those people are treated, the conditions mm-hmm. that they're in, what they yeah. have to do their body to prepare for that particular segment. Mm-hmm. Like there's a lot of things going on behind yeah. the scenes that are gross. Yeah. Um, I really appreciate your candid share. And I also am the same. Like I have, I'll say consistently, but By consistently, I mean like I haven't intentionally cut it out of my life for we'll say 10 years, right? So this means like sometimes I watch it, sometimes two months will go by and I haven't watched once. Same. Sometimes I'll watch, you know, three days, four days in a row. Some days I won't, you know, so I, it's not, the thing is, is that porn can be an addiction. I've worked with a number of male clients trying to overcome porn addictions. Mm -hmm. That's a real thing. But we're talking about, you know, our casual interaction with it. What I am more and more convicted of, and again, this comes back to, I think everybody has convictions for a reason. And if you're not convicted by it, it shouldn't be forced on you. Yep. But the more I, like even ethical porn, I really struggle with what my brain does in comparison or in judgment or Mm. that it will go to it during a moment with my partner and that may not bother some people it may not be a big deal like are you talking about fantasizing about yeah yeah okay um and you know obviously this is my line of work i think there's like depths to sexuality that we can only imagine like i think that there's so much power in sex i think sex magic is a real thing and so i'm interested in exploring that and so if you're listening and you're like wow i don't have any interest in any of that then maybe like this <laughs> conviction about porn is completely not for you but for me it's like i really want to create an energetic space where i am super in it with my partner or with my partners and so i really want to 
create that. And I right now feel that porn is more of a hindrance than a support. Mm. Now, that being said, where it gets really gray is say you make your own porn. Okay. What then? Is it porn? Is it not? Is it good? Is it not? So it gets gray. So I would never say watching porn is a bad thing ever. I would never say that. If it is a bad thing for you, mm-hmm. then it is a bad thing for you. And that's kind of how I feel about it in this moment. I like that. But like, actually, though, that gray area, is mm-hmm. it porn? I would say it is. Right? It is. But is it okay because you're the partner that it's you're with like made the partner? It's not like syndicated know? porn. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it might be if you put it on YouTube and you're an <laughs> asshole. But like... Uh, interesting okay yeah. so i will say generally speaking porn sets very unrealistic expectations mm-hmm. in general right we're talking high level conversation it's unrealistic expectations for everyone men women and like most often it's women being conscious self-conscious of their own bodies not mm-hmm. looking like they do in porn um everything from labia to anal bleaching to yeah you know all kinds of things um and I and like editing video editing, right? right? And then pausing in the middle, changing something, then coming back. You know, it's like how many porns have I watched where the woman wasn't even wet, and I could tell she wasn't wet. Totally. You know, like why do I think she's moaning like that? If she and like not that you can't be turned on without being wet. And generally speaking, if you're that hot and that turned on, there's going to be some lubrication. Why is there no lubrication? Like what is going on? I know. And girl, females, when they orgasm in porn, it's like this theatrics that yes. like, sure, that happens to me sometimes. But sometimes I'm like quiet. Yeah. Or like I don't even, yeah. like I'm I just know. in my mind and mm-hmm. like sometimes, you know. Like you take I, six breaths and then you've been, and then you're, you're done. done. That was good. That was good. I really enjoyed it. was great, by the way. <laughs> I know. It's so plug. good. Yeah, a little plug. We should get uh, them to sponsor this episode. <laughs> um, okay. Amazing. Any last words? Any last tips? We're almost at an hour, by the way. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Fuck. We, like, went for it. Yeah, we did. Yeah. Okay. So, last words. So, I just want to say, again, two of the things that I think are the most important. If you're interested in changing the way you have sex, one is be curious. Mm -hmm. Um, Two is learn the power of breathing. Mm -hmm. And then um, three, I think, comes down to what you said, which is get comfortable with being uncomfortable. And I'm not saying you have to do things that seem wrong to you, Mm -hmm. Um, you know. That's a very brilliant distinction. Yes. Because our instinct is like when you, when some, when you feel violated or Mm -hmm. when you feel there's always a line and you need to be able to have a boundary there. And yeah. So something like an easy example is I may say, you know, try having self-pleasuring in front of a mirror. Um, and you might be uncomfortable with that. Sitting in front of a mirror, looking at your own body while you orgasm might be uncomfortable. And doing that in a group of people might be beyond where you want to go. And I understand you don't have to do it in a group, right? Mm -hmm. But find the edges of where you're comfortable and be willing to be curious about the experience. Um, I think that that's really, really important what you said. And so I would say curiosity, good breathing mechanics and beginning to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. I just uh, pictured that scene in fried green tomatoes. I don't know if you've ever seen that. When they're like, and take out your mirrors. We are looking at the V. It's like, okay. Yep. Yep. Okay. Do you do retreats like that? No, I don't. I don't currently, but I will for sure. Yeah. Um, I, I also like, I feel like it's like this with yoga, right? When you first start yoga, you're like, okay, everything's weird except for the exercise part. That's, that's okay. Yeah. And then, you know, a couple of, depends on how you go, but like not long later, you're like, okay, everything's weird except for the exercise and the breathing, but like everything else is weird. Then mm-hmm. you're like, okay, the chanting's okay. Yeah. And then next thing you know, you're all in, you know, your chakras, your crystals, you're like, yeah. you're in. Astrology. You're eyeball deep. Yeah, we're okay? in. Yeah. That's how I feel about learning about feminine sexuality and pleasure or just sexuality and pleasure and sex magic. Um, there's a book called, uh, it's not coming to me, but I remember reading it and she's got a lot of anatomical information, but then also she talks about like walking on coals and being able to tell which ovary is overreacting based on how you react on the coals. And I was like, Oh, that's crazy. Now I'm like, how do I sign up for that? Yeah. You know, I'm like, I just, I just want to know. So 
you know, some of the stuff you're listening to, you might be like, man, I'm all in. And then some of the stuff you're listening to, you're like, wow, that got really weird really fast. So yep. there is a lot of depth. And I feel like every time I learn more, I get more like crystals. I get more sage. I get more Palo Santo. I get more like Because woo-woo. you're ready to receive that though totally. too. You know, like when you read a book and it blows your mind and then you read it again and it's feels like a completely different book. Totally. Yeah. yeah. You just need to be like the timing is everything and the space and time and your capacity to learn. And learning's weird. Yes, it is learning's weird. Learning's weird. <laughs> it is so weird. <laughs> wow, I love you. That was amazing. <laughs> it is weird. It is that weird. Yes. <laughs> Thank you so much, Jenna, for coming on the show. That was awesome. Thank you. And there you have it. You've just finished another episode of the Elise Unfiltered podcast. If you haven't done so yet, head over to bloomsexually.com and shop 20% off storewide with the promo code bloom 20. If you're looking for more, head over to elisaunfiltered.com for show notes and all the links to all things Elise Unfiltered. Have the best day, everyone. Until next time.